we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM CFRO Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, BC, Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, June 12th, 2020. I'm your host, Elise Jacobson. Thank you for joining me on this lovely day. Our featured guest today is Aisha Robinson, founder of Five Loaves Atlanta, an initiative that provides plant-based food relief as well as clothing and supplies to homeless and hungry people in the Atlanta area. She'll be speaking with us on the incredible work she's doing helping people in need and why she feels everyone should have access to healthy vegan food. That's coming up in about half an hour, so stay tuned. June is Adopt a Shelter Cat Month, so we'll also be hearing an encore interview with Maria Sorosky, co-founder and executive director of the Vancouver Orphan Kitten Rescue Association, or VOCRA. We had her on the show for Black Cat Appreciation Month in August 2019, and she shared her stories of building Vancouver's best-known cat rescue from the ground up and explained why adopting a rescued cat is so rewarding. But first, my co-host Leah Thompson joins me to talk about some current events. So today we're going to be talking about how farmed animal sanctuaries across the U.S. have been losing funding over showing their support for the national and global uprisings in support of black people who have been targeted by police violence. So some have lost major donors who consistently contributed hundreds of dollars, which was going towards feeding their animals and maintaining their facilities. I wanted to share uh, the statement that was made by the founder and director of Catskill Animal Sanctuary, Kathy Stevens. Kathy said, During this unparalleled time, it stinks to lose support of several major donors at a time when income from other major sources has dried up due to the pandemic. What would stink even more is to abandon our most deeply held belief, the belief that love of all beings because of our choice to support black Americans in this time of crisis made a few supporters uncomfortable. The farming of animals who want their lives as much as we want ours represents systemic evil, institutionalized suffering, and it must end. Our country's gross mistreatment of people of color, particularly black Americans, is systemic evil and institutionalized. It too must end. Yes, it stinks to lose the support, but love spoken here means exactly what it says. I honor the integrity of the Catskill team and I stand loudly and proudly for the right of every living being, no matter their color, class, gender, sexual orientation, religion, or species, to know the same privileges I've known my entire life. Safety, comfort, kindness, and love. Onward. Yeah, that's that's pretty powerful, I think. And yeah, to clarify, love spoken here is the motto of Catskill Animal Sanctuary. So Kathy was just sort of making clear that their support for the Black Lives Matter movement is in line with their values and their motto. You found that Catskill Animal Sanctuary was not the only one that has lost donors and followers due to publicly supporting these protests, right? Can you can you tell me about some of the other ones? Yeah, so one that we have specific numbers for was Rancho Relaxo in New Jersey. The person who runs their social media, she said that she had lost 300 followers for posting 
that Black Lives Matter, and she has continued since then to share anti-racist resources and different funds for Black people in her stories. She's continuing the conversation. It's important for us to support those people who have stood up and to make sure that they are able to get the care that they need towards their um, residents at their sanctuaries. Yeah, absolutely. I find it kind of shocking that obviously sanctuaries, most sanctuaries everywhere tend to be kind of hanging on by a thread a lot of the time. They have so many animals in their care and animals are very expensive to care for a lot of the time. They need a lot of food. They need a lot of other supplies. So they rely on funding from donors. And the fact that people would just say, you know, I'm not going to support you anymore. I'm not going to support these animals anymore because you voiced your support for black people who are being disproportionately targeted by police. That's pretty shocking to me. I can read another comment that was made on the Iowa Farm Sanctuary's Instagram. They had posted also just a picture that said Black Lives Matter, and they'd responded with this comment after people had started making pretty racist comments towards them. They said, while our organization's work is centered around securing freedom, rights, and safety for farm animals, our anti-oppression values extend universally. Our motto, compassion lives here, applies to all individuals, including our fellow human beings. To remain silent while the black community is in need of our support would be an unconscionable violation of our core values. By supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, we are not devaluing the lives of any other individuals or groups. Rather, we are acknowledging that black lives are inherently threatened on a daily basis due to systematic oppression and racism within our society. We invite you to open your heart to the vibrant voices within the black community and listen to their truth. Our stance on standing against oppression is unwavering. Compassion lives here today and always. So just like the other sanctuary, they use their motto to show people that... um, Their motto isn't just about the animals and the residents of their sanctuary. It's about all people and how we treat them. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's so important for the animal rights movement, which obviously sanctuaries are are an integral part of, and any social justice movement to show solidarity with other movements and other uprisings. I mean, it's like I have seen people sort of complaining not only to sanctuaries, but other vegan and animal rights organizations who are expressing this solidarity. They're saying, well, you're supposed to be focusing on animals. Why are you, you know, shifting your focus to other issues, other social issues? But to me, it's just expressing solidarity doesn't mean that you're completely shifting your focus. It doesn't mean that these sanctuaries are going to stop, you know, advocating for animals or whatever. It's just sort of weird that people jump to these conclusions and get all bent out of shape about it. So I'll list some of the other sanctuaries who have been affected. There is Arthur's Acre Sanctuary in New York, Viva Global Rescue in Southern California, New Life Animal Sanctuary in California, and the other three that we mentioned again were Rancho Relaxo in New Jersey, Iowa Farm Sanctuary in Iowa, Catskill Animal Sanctuary in New York. Yeah, thank you for this, Leah, for looking this up. Definitely, for our listeners, you can um, find all of these sanctuaries on Facebook and Instagram and show them a little bit of love, give them a shout out send them some money to help support their animals. My guest today is Maria Sorosky, co-founder and director of the Vancouver Orphan Kitten Rescue Association, or VOCRA. Hello, Maria, and welcome to Animal Voices. Thank you very much, Elise. It's really nice to be back. Yeah, it's great to see you. So um, first of all, can you tell me and our listeners about the work that VOCRA does? Um, What kind of organization is it? What is your mission? Mm -hmm. Well, um, our organization, VOCRA, is a registered charity. We're also society in BC, and um, we are a cat rescue 
So what that involves is we did start initially to rescue cats in Vancouver, but it has expanded since then. Because of the work we've done in Vancouver with helping low-income spay and neuter their cats, spaying and neutering the feral cats, taking cats off the street that are homeless, Mm -hmm. that's reduced the numbers so much in Vancouver that now we're helping other areas such as Surrey. So if you look at our numbers and see 1,400 cats per year rescued, this is not just Vancouver. This is 70% Surrey. Wow. Yeah, so we're helping in other areas. So the kind of organization we are is a cat rescue, and our mission is primarily to rescue cats and kittens off the streets, homeless cats, Mm -hmm. and, of course, spay and neuter them. Uh, If they're tame, find them homes. Mm -hmm. And if they happen to be feral, which is an unsocialized cat that's born on the streets, is to spay and neuter them, vaccinate, and then put them back into the location they were found with a caretaker who feeds them and constantly, you know, watches over them. Wow. Yeah, so it encompasses a lot. So um, I'm wondering, when was Vokra founded? How long have you been doing this and and how many people are involved? Okay, well, we're coming up on 20 years now. Yes, 20 years. So um, Karen and I, of course, uh, Karen Duncan is my co-founder, and we started Vokra. But we had some cat rescue experience before then, which I'll get into a little later. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Um, How long have you been doing rescue work and what got you into it? Oh, well, 10 years before we founded Vokra, uh, I volunteered at the Vancouver SBCA Hospital. Oh, nice. And um, I ran their foster program there. And one of the foster parents for feeding, bottle feeding, little orphan kittens that came in was Karen Duncan. (laughs) So I got to know Karen that way. And we had a a program for um, kittens that were brought into the SPCA. People would find them in their yards in a compost pile under a bunch of stuff. And they'd bring in these little newborn kittens who had supposedly no mother. Yeah. And uh, we would bottle feed them and raise them and then get them adopted. So that's how I met Karen. But later on in the story, you will (laughs) find that all these kittens that were being brought into the shelter actually did have mothers oh dear and the reason the mothers were never brought in is because they were too scared for anyone to catch or pick up and bring into the shelter oh, dear. so i'll tell you about that story yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure that's fascinating um so what inspired you to start a rescue organization for orphaned kittens specifically mm-hmm. like as opposed to any other animal yeah well When both of us, uh, Karen and I, were volunteering at the SPCA hospital, um, there was two or three people who bottle-fed kittens, and also other little small kittens would be brought in. Mm -hmm. You know, they would be able to walk and their eyes were open, or mums with kittens were brought into the SPCA also. Mm-hmm. And they would stay at the shelter. And we would try to find them foster homes, 
for, for them. And we just saw that there was a huge need for the kitten arena of, of homeless cats right. because um, they need a lot of work, you know, bottle feeding is every two hours wow. around the clock wow. and um, they need special care. And that's when they're just newborn, yeah. eh? when they're just right. really little. And if, if young cats who are too young to be vaccinated are going mm-hmm. into a shelter, it's not the best place for them. They mm-hmm. need to be in foster homes because um, they are prone to being um, exposed to disease, right. uh, cat colds, that sort of thing. Right. So the shelter is really no place for them. So mm-hmm. having a foster program in place is ideal. Mm-hmm. So Karen and I thought, wow, you know, there's such a need. There's so many of these orphan kittens coming in and little kittens coming in with no mothers that we really need to start our own orphan kitten rescue, right? right? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so cool. we started in... Um, the year 2000, Karen is a doula, wow. which helps women give birth, so she was ideally suited for cats giving birth, nice. right? Yeah. And um, I'm a registered nurse, so my medical background was a great advantage. Oh, good. So we started small and um, went from there. Amazing. Oh, that's so lovely. So can you tell us about some of the cats and kittens that you currently have available for adoption at VOCA? Oh, absolutely. Um, Well, like I said, uh, Vancouver has has made great strides in the 20 years. Uh, We help a lot of people spay and neuter their cats so they don't end up lost and abandoned on the street and having babies out there. But we are helping in Surrey. So um, basically... um, we have all sorts of cats and kittens for adopt adoption. We have um, we adopt kittens out at ten weeks of age, usually in pairs, or to someone who has another cat. Okay. Um, and when they're ten weeks of old, they've already learned from their mother how to behave. They've been in foster homes, so you know exactly what type of personality you're getting. Right. Uh, we also have many adult cats. We have the moms. We have tame cats that I've rescued off the street. We have elderly cats, long hair, short hair, black, white, any <laughs> color you want. And, um, you know, all the adults are spayed and neutered. And with the adoption fee, of course, comes the spaying and neutering, which we follow up on to make sure that you've done it right (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so we have a lot of cats that need homes i think there's probably about 350 in our system right now oh my goodness i didn't realize it was so big yeah so if you come to the website vocra.ca you'll see a lot of pictures on the galleries and explanations Yeah. And uh, you really get to see what the cat is like. Yeah, I, I look, checked out your website the other day, and there's some really adorable oh, yes. kitties on there. Yeah, yeah, really and there's cute. a lot coming soon too, so oh, you can good. be on a wait list for the younger ones. Right, yeah. right. Is there a specific reason why you tend to adopt them in pairs? Um, because it, a lot of them are bonded. Oh, okay. uh, these cats all come off the streets, right. so we get a whole litter of, of kittens. Many yes. are bonded, and it's just not psychological logically fair to a young kitten to be home all day alone right uh it's very harmful and stressful on them so if they have a buddy 
whether it's a dog or a cat (laughs) or in pairs, is best psychologically for them. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's really good to know. A lot of people don't tend to think of cats as especially social animals. Oh, they are. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. Yeah, Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, So what would you say are some of the most satisfying or enjoyable parts of rescuing cats and kittens? Well, you know, there's really satisfying parts and that is being able to take a cat off the street who has been living uh, has been lost or abandoned not neutered Mm -hmm. or spayed having babies out there um, don't know where to find food you know some are injured some some have gotten into fights because they're not neutered and rescuing these cats and being able to heal them and have them in a foster home where they can, you know, get better to a point where they're for adoption and finally see them in their adoptive homes is the most satisfying thing in the world. And knowing that because we're an all-encompassing rescue organization, we also advocate for cats, Mm -hmm. that they be um, treated with respect, that they have lifelong homes. Uh, We help people with spaying and neutering their cats if they can't afford it. Um, We help the feral cats that we're actually conquering the problem of cats being left on the streets and, and helping those cats and preventing cats from having litter after litter after litter absolutely so it's very satisfying and then there's the other side of it too which (laughs) is you know so hard to talk about you know i i actually have post-traumatic shock from a a lot of the injuries and suffering i've seen out there Uh, a lot of rescuers whether it's cat rescuers or dog rescuers or small animals Mm -hmm. you know suffer this when they're on the front lines um, because you come across animals who are oh i just can't even tell you we can't even talk about it yeah. because people don't want to hear about that part, right, you know, and it's, it's very hard. We've started a support group for all of us and we've oh, actually good. had some trauma uh, counseling for it good, because yeah. it is very hard seeing an animal suffer and, and knowing they suffered at the hands of humans. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. I can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's just horrendous cruelty to animals, including, you know, animals oh, of that course. We, people yes. normally love. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've read many stories about people abandoning cats and kittens in, you know, dumpsters and stuff, even mm-hmm. in the Vancouver area. And yeah. Oh yeah. Having, little pet rats downtown. Um, yeah. This week, all I think there's about ten of them were just let out in a back lane. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of them were lying there dead. Oh, it was really so sad. So sad. Gosh. So as I mentioned earlier in the show, tomorrow is not only International <laughs> Homeless Animals Day, very apropos, but also Black Cat Appreciation Day. So black cats, unfortunately, are often victims of human superstition. Some people think they bring <laughs> bad luck. And I understand that they're typically passed over for adoption more often than cats of other colors. Is <laughs> this consistent with your experience? <laughs> and um, what do you wish more people knew about <laughs> black cats? Well, we all know that black cats were associated 
associated with witches mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But I think uh, times are changing. I, I don't know if that superstition is necessarily that active anymore. And certainly, <laughs> <laughs> certainly we tell them how much black cats are, are so wonderful. Um, it's a dominant color. So, and in countries um, and continents that have cold weather, you'll see black cats. It's a dominant color, so it means that there's going to be more of them. Right, right. Right? And in uh, hot countries, you'll see cats with white coats. Uh White coats with spots on them. That's so Uh, The white reflects uh, the sun. Right. And in colder countries, the black fur brings in the the warmth, the sun, into an animal. That's why you'll see more black cats. But um, actually, we don't have that much of a situation with adopting out black cats. People love black cats. I love black cats. (laughs) Um, But it's it's just that there's so many of them to choose from. Right. So we, um, in our photographs and um, promoting our black cats, we like to tell more about their personality, put little different colored collars on them to make them special. Because they all look the same, right? Right, right. But But black cats are wonderful and it because it's a dominant gene it means they're healthier mm-hmm. and uh i find black cats to have the best personalities wow. docile really sweet yeah so we we appreciate black oh, cats. that's good yeah <laughs> you actually were showing me some photos just before the show of a black cat who's available for adoption at Bogart. Yes. can you tell us more about he's soon <laughs> gonna be available okay. for adoption yeah. Uh, we call him Bert, and here in East Van, he was uh, coming for food on a woman's patio. Mm-hmm. She saw that he had um, been having a really hard time eating. He, he could barely move his jaws, and his ears were all torn up. He wasn't um, he wasn't neutered, you know. He had his jaw looked like there was blood coming out of it. Oh, gosh. So I rescued him. We call him Bert and uh, took him to the vet right away. And he had a horrible uh, abscess in the roof of his mouth that went into his cheek and then into his ear, which almost, almost broke his eardrum open, but it's not. And um, he was just in really bad shape. Um, At first, he was very scared and would growl at us. But um, within days, you could see that he he wanted help, mm-hmm. and he would allow me to pet him. Now he spent the last most of the last two weeks at the vet because he's been on IV fluids. He's had two surgeries now. Right. He had to take his remaining teeth out Aww. because they were so abscessed. Um, I went to see him yesterday. He's ready to come back to Vokra tomorrow. He'll go into a foster home to recuperate. Now he's the sweetest cat. Aww. He purrs. You can pick him up, cuddle him, kiss him. Oh he's my God. so sweet. His <laughs> name is Bert Reynolds. Aww. And we love him. So cute. And then also, you know, just before I drove here, I got a call in East Van again about another long-haired black cat who's sitting in some bushes. Wow! Um, it look, the cat looks terrible. It's so matted. Oh, it, it's just laying there with its head hanging down. Oh. So as soon as I'm finished the show, I'm running over there oh, my and goodness. scoop him up and.
and we'll take them to the vet right away. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, Maria, thank goodness for people like you looking out for these creatures. Um, Well, thanks to the public for calling us. Oh, yeah. You know, if you see what you think is an injured cat or a cat that just is hanging around all the time, please call us. Yeah, that's good to know. Absolutely. So um, for anyone looking to add a companion animal Mm -hmm. to their family, what would you say are the benefits of adopting from a rescue organization such as Vokra? Well, um, I think one of the benefits is that you know that they've been medically taken care of, um, they've been vaccinated, dewormed, they're healthy, Mm -hmm. they're in a foster home, so you can actually go see the cat and play with it and, and, you know, really see its personality. And of course, the foster can tell you everything about their their little kids. And um, you might also consider being a foster if you can't adopt, you know, 20 years is quite a commitment for some people. Yes. Young people like to travel. They like to, you know, do all sorts of things. They can't commit to 20 years, but you can foster. Right. We provide all the food, litter, everything, and uh, all you have to do is take care of the kitty. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That's wonderful. Um, What advice would you have for anyone who would like to get involved in animal rescue? Okay. Well, I think the best thing to do is... Um, to volunteer with the animal rescue of choice. Mm -hmm. Like if you're interested in small animals or dogs or cats or ferrets or birds, start volunteering with the rescue and get involved because they've gone through everything. They've learned, you know, all the mistakes you make and that sort of thing. Um, And you can really learn how to start an animal rescue that way. So I would say do that. Foster, get a hang for it, you know. And we have actually mentored many people in small towns in BC to start animal rescues. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So it's not hard. You you need to get your community involved. Yes. We have probably 600 volunteers here in Vancouver. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's incredible. Voker is a community yeah. in, in Vancouver. That's we so all lovely. work to help help the cats. So, um, and there's a lot of mentoring that goes on in networking through BC with the cat rescues. Right, we all help sure. each other out. For sure. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. That's so lovely. Um, so it sounds like there's any number of ways to get involved, mm-hmm. any number of ways to even start your own rescue once mm-hmm. you have more experience, right? So many volunteer opportunities. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that's true. Many. There are a lot of animal rescues in, yeah. in BC. And we have many volunteer opportunities. Oh, good. Yeah. That's good to know. So if I wanted to adopt or foster a kitten through Vokra, how would I get started? Well, all you do is you come to our website. You can Google us, Vancouver Orphan Kitten Rescue, or you could um, Google Vokra, V-O-K-R-A. You can come to our Facebook page, Twitter page, but mainly if you want to adopt or foster, you need to fill in an application form, and that is on the website. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. yeah, that's good to know. And you also have information about the adoptable cats on the website. On the website and yeah. photos, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. Um, so we were speaking earlier before the show about the housing crisis in Vancouver and, you know, kind of how this can affect mm-hmm. um, animal rescue. Can you elaborate on that a little okay, bit? Okay, I'll just tell you quickly about that. Um, in the last two years, but especially this year, in Vancouver, we're seeing a huge increase in cats that are being left behind mm-hmm. when the owners are moving. Right. Now, 
you know we have a housing crisis in Vancouver. It, yeah. It's horrible. Uh, there is just nowhere, there's no available suites. And then the suites are unaffordable. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's on low income, who's allowed 375 for rent yeah. on welfare... You can't find anything. You can't right. even find a closet for yeah, three seventy five. That's true. <laughs> now, the, also the other thing is that almost ninety eight percent of rentals are no pets. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. So what we're what I'm seeing is I'm being called about a cat sitting in the yard, and I go there. The neighbors tell me the people were either evicted or they've had to leave. And they've left the cat behind. Oh, gosh. Along with a lot of their own possessions are out in the yard, too. So, and the other thing is that most of these cats are not fixed. Oh, dear. So, So they're they're out there having babies. Yeah. So, I'm seeing an increase in moms and kittens. Tame moms and kittens. Wow. Tame moms and kittens out there. Yeah. And uh, a lot of adult tame cats. Wow. Just in this last year, it's just exploded. Yeah. So it's really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess I know there are sort of pushes for changes in the legislation around, mm-hmm. for example, you know, landlords allowing mm-hmm. um, pets in yep. uh, rental suites. Do you have any more information on that? or how? Well, Ontario allows, doesn't discriminate about people with pets. Right, okay. With yeah, their legislation. But we have a really strong uh landlord union here Uh or the landlord associations do not want pets in in their rentals and they are behind this um pushing the government to not have it not be allowed so it's a really strong lobby and it's not fair and um you know pets okay bc is trying to combat this but we're not really making any headway oh really i didn't know that yeah it's it's such a shame oh Mm -hmm. my gosh um yeah i'm just wondering what everyday citizens can do if we can write to lawmakers or Mm -hmm. you know petition go to the pets okay bc sign their petitions, volunteer for them. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to get your most uh, activism done. Yeah. Right. They Absolutely. have where you can write. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so important. I think it's, um, yeah, something, uh, an aspect of the housing issue that a lot of people don't mm-hmm. think about is how many animals end up homeless because yeah. of that. That's and the uh, people are homeless. Yeah. Just look outside. Absolutely. Especially, look outside yeah, our doors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Definitely something to think about. Um, so you have a couple of events coming up soon with Vokra. Tell us yes, about those. Yes, we do. So um, the Walkathon is our big event. So uh, it's at Jericho Beach Park. Sunday, September 15th, and you come to either uh, our Facebook or website, and you can see the details on that. So you actually um, can come, if you are not walking, you can come for the event, too, of course. Uh, It's right on the beach, and um, our walkers are raising money for Vokra, so this goes to our vet bills. You know, we're all volunteers, right? right? Uh, We don't get a lot of grants. There's very few grants for animal welfare, I have to say, and... um, you know, we need to raise money to to help all these cats. Yes. Rescue is expensive yeah. from what I so understand. So that's Sunday, September 15th. But if you want to just come see us uh, at Pet Food and More on Oak Street, I think it's Oak and like 16th or so, August 24th from 12 to 4, we'll be there talking about uh, Vokra. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Just on the sidewalk out front. Oh, nice. Um, so what are some other ways in which our listeners can support Vokra? 
Oh, well, absolutely. I think um, if you love animals, you know, you don't even have to be crazy about cats. But, you know, if you love animals, you love all animals. Of course. You know, I have a little crow family (laughs) in my yard. And a little squirrel family. And there's a little bird family. And, of course, we love all animals, right? Of course. So, um, you know, if you want to help us, you can help by donating. You can help by volunteering. Um, Like I said, there's many volunteer opportunities if you don't can't be around cats if you're allergic mm-hmm. or whatever you can come to set up events for us we have yeah. tables and that sort of thing and um just support us as as a community if you own a cat you know get involved with us um everybody knows who vokra is yeah <laughs> and i think the more that you spread the word about what we do the the better we can help cats so if you do see a stray cat or a cat that you think is injured please call us or if you see kittens wandering in the yard that is a big red flag hey yeah. they don't belong there right there's something wrong yeah so you know we're welcome to to anyone joining us in, right. in this <laughs> for sure yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share with us about um, cat rescue or about anything? I would just like to say that I think a lot of things have changed in the last 20 years in animal welfare in BC here. Mm-hmm. And it's changed for the good. Um, I think people are more aware of spaying and neutering their pets. That's good. Um, I think there's a lot more awareness about animal cruelty in BC and a lot of people are supportive of um, helping this being prevented and also those who are doing the cruelty do get an adequate sentence Um, and also there's the animal welfare advisory network of BC which is relatively new Uh in the past three years Um, it's for all the rescues in BC to get together a network and work towards um, increasing and making animal welfare a priority in BC great it's called AWAN A-W-A-N or animal welfare network of BC. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's very good to know. Well, thank you so much for coming on Animal Voices today. Oh, you're Maria, welcome. Sharing your experience and insight with us. I've been speaking with Maria Sarosky, co-founder and director of the Vancouver Orphan Kitten Rescue Association, or VOCRA. If you'd like to learn more about VOCRA or to adopt or foster a kitten or cat, visit their website at orphankittenrescue.com. Eh, up. Quigat Yuans, Queens Na. Hi, everybody. My name is Quigat Yuans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yogalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil Nations. My guest today is Aisha Robinson. Aisha is the founder of Five Loaves Atlanta, a charitable initiative that has been providing vegan meals as well as clothing and supplies to homeless and hungry people in the Atlanta area since December of last year. Hello, Aisha, and welcome to Animal Voices. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, First of all, I'd love to hear about your vegan journey. How long have you been vegan and what inspired you to adopt this lifestyle? I was actually, I've been vegan since 2017, November. Um, 
I like moved to Michigan. I was pregnant with my youngest son and I had had issues with lupus. And I was like, I heard that, you know, I could stop eating meat and I could stop eating animal products and I would stop having some of the things I was having, but I was raised in the South and your diet just consists of animals. And so it really took me, I started watching all these documentaries because I'm pregnant and I have nothing else to do. And I noticed the suffering. I never noticed the suffering before. I never ever attached the actual animal and how they felt to the product in front of me. And when I saw the animal suffering, I was like, well, I could imagine somebody taking my baby from me. And I couldn't, for the life of me, feel like I deserve to eat somebody else's baby because I'm hungry for something that's not even sustaining me. It's just because it's a preference. I feel like I deserve to eat this. And after that, I was like, well, this is it. And I cold turkey went vegan. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. That's so powerful. Um, So tell me about Five Loaves Atlanta. How did you get started? Well, um, I'm like... I'm like one of those people, I come up with a random idea and then I post it on Facebook. I have to work on my impulse, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> I got this idea of like, I think Thanksgiving was coming up. And I was like, I want to do a vegan potluck in Atlanta. We have so many vegan people here. And I posted about it. I get like 300 likes on Facebook. I'm like, yes, this is going to be fantastic. And then it was like cricket. No. Nobody messaged me back anymore. Um, and I felt horrible. And so I was able to do a produce giveaway. And I actually met a group of people who were at a shelter and they told us that they couldn't take food back to the shelter. So they had to eat whatever was there, but nothing there was already prepared that was vegan. And when I started thinking about it and going over it in my head, I was like, what if we take the food to the people and they can eat it? Because even at a shelter, people still have to be out during the day. Mm-hmm. So they can still be hungry and they don't get to eat until later. And a lot of shelters really don't cater to vegan lifestyles. It's just kind of like eat it or don't. And I think I ended up, I had like 50 books. And it was my last 50 bucks to my name. Like, I didn't get any donations. I was just like, you know what? I have food in my house. My bills are paid. So I'm going to do this and see what happens. And so we got, like, we ran to Walmart, bought, like, a ton of beans. And I think we made soup for, like, 15 people. Soup and cornbread. And I called one of my friends that I worked out with. And she brought her son. And we went out and we passed out the food. And we noticed we ran out of food in like five minutes. And we saw tons more people. And people ate the food. And they were like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. I feel so great. Thank you so much. Is that an orange? Is that water? And then it started coming across in my mind. Like, wow, all of the stuff I had been told before where people were like homeless people, people on the streets, they would never want vegetables. They're not going to want vegan food. I noticed that nobody had even asked. It's just like kind of eat this ham and cheese or no. Mm-hmm. 
And once I noticed, like, there's such a need for people to feel catered to, and they don't even have the option to eat a vegetable that I might have thrown away, it started making me say, well, maybe I could do this, like, once a week. And then after the whole pandemic, it went from maybe we would go out and see 20 people at a time. And then I think we ran out of like 50 plates in 30 minutes. Wow. Had to tell people that we didn't have any more food. And you started seeing people come up with their kids. And you started seeing people who were living in their cars now. And you started to see people who can't get serviced anymore. Um, And it started making me like, oh my gosh, you really have to step it up. And from then on out, it's just taken off. Within these past, say, three months, we probably went from, I think we went from 800 plates that we had served, and now we're over 2,100 since March. Wow. So that's a lot for me, my mom, and my 11-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible. Wow, that's so beautiful. Um, so t- tell me about some of the tasty meals that you've shared. Oh, my gosh. Um, we made, like... We put king oyster mushrooms and black-eyed peas together in a patty and made, like, mushroom gravy. So it's kind of like a take on some of the stuff that people are familiar eating, especially growing up in the South, like collard greens, sweet potato casserole. But then take it into mind that so many of these things you thought had to have an egg in it or milk, it didn't. Mm-hmm. It's just what you were told it had to have. So when people who aren't necessarily like, well, you know, unfortunately, when you say vegan, people think gross. Right. They're not familiar with the food. They're like, oh, I don't want that. So when you just say, oh, it's something they're familiar with. They say, oh, this is a meatloaf. They're like, oh, great. And then they eat it and you're like, what kind of meat is it? And then you go mushrooms and they go, what? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm, I haven't had anybody be mad yet. Like, what? Oh, wow. You foiled me. Darn it. Take it back. <laughs> so, it's fantastic. We've done that. We did a, um, we have done like a lentil loaf before. We do a lot of pastas. We did a, a kale slaw. It's like kale and Napa cabbage. Um, we actually got like a ton of coupons from Beyond Meat one time. And so we made like a big baked ziti with kale that we get from local farmers. And we just put all that together. Um, We actually have a a local bakery that gave us a donation forever ago. And now we're finally getting back in with them. So we're going to make like um, those banana blossoms. We're going to make like a fried unfished sandwich that no one's going to know. So then you just make it with the lettuce and the tomatoes, stack it on top with the toothpick. This is like fresh vegan bread. And then they get everything they need. And then we also make sure we pass out orange, socks, at least two bottles of water because it's so hot, and make sure they get that. We did, um, we're going to do smoothies on Wednesday. It's a guy who donates us watermelons at least once a week. So we've been making them into watermelon juice. Wow. And then we go pass that out with the water. And then that makes like a hydration difference. Because so many people 
it's like for the people that you see in tents, there's so many people who have to literally just lay in the middle of the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And they're so dehydrated. And then if you can give them stuff like watermelon juice and give them a salad that has cucumbers in it. It's like to watch people eat it and not know, like, I'm just so dehydrated and my body needs all this. And you don't even have to preach to them like, hey, you better eat right. Mm. Next time you see them, they're like, can I have two salads, please? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And you're making me hungry talking about all this amazing <laughs> food. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. So um, you've stated that you believe access to cruelty-free food should be a right and not a privilege. Can you elaborate on this? I grew up in Atlanta and I actually was blessed enough to see two sides. So I saw the food insecure side and then I was blessed enough to see the food secure side. But because of that, I noticed that there are miles and miles and miles of streets in Atlanta where people have no access to fresh vegetables. So you might go in the store and there's this option of buying five packs of meat for $20. And then it's like a pile of bananas and they're all rotting and they're all surrounded by fruit flies. So what's going to be more appetizing when you think of feeding your family? Mm -hmm. And then there's no education about even the correlation between your health, suffering. It's just taught that like, hey, you're poor and so you have to eat what's in front of you. You don't have the option that rich people have. And then when you go and even a middle-class neighborhood and you see you have like a whole foods right across the street from this and a nice farmer's market stand even though those areas have opportunities where people could use their ebt card to get the vegetables they don't even know that that exists hmm. or it would take them like four or five buses to get there and in atlanta right now because of covid a lot of the bus stops in the inner city are actually closed. So people wouldn't even have the ability to get to that food if they could. Right. So I feel like people should have the ability to choose so people can't say, well, poor people don't want vegetables. You don't know that because you never offered it to them or the way you offered it to them, it's rotten food. So they don't understand like a banana doesn't have to taste bad. Like I remember, <clears throat> My oldest son, he was at public school before he's homeschooled now. And I took an organic apple to the school. And it was a conventional apple the other kids were eating. So they were like, my mom said it's not a difference. I was like, okay, cool. Well, you bite your apple, and he bites his apple, and we'll leave them out. And whichever one doesn't turn brown, then we'll figure it out. So none of their apples turned brown. All the kids freaked out. And they were like, well, <laughs> Oh my gosh. And they all became interested. So all of them came back to school the next day with so many questions and stuff. They had looked up themselves about food and they were like, y'all don't even have to take my little gummy vitamin. I could just eat an orange. And I'm like, we should maybe do both, but <laughs> we'll figure this out. It was one boy. He figured out it was gelatin in his vitamins and he figured out what gelatin was. So he don't want to take it anymore. So he was asking me about vegan gummies. And oh it was just gosh. amazing. And in the day, those kids were able to come up with these ideas on their own. But it was just never presented to them before. Right. So they didn't know any better. And so if you grow up in that same environment over time and nobody's teaching you, like, hey, you know, other people, other animals, like 
nothing has to suffer. The farmers don't have to suffer. If we even knew about our local farmers, they wouldn't have to suffer so much while the economy is dropping right now. If people knew, like, I can just go to you and get some money. But there's no connection between any of that stuff, especially in those communities. And that's why I think it really needs to be a privilege. It doesn't need to be a privilege for people to have to say, well, I have to decide if I'm going to take a $20 Uber to a nicer neighborhood to buy groceries. Mm -hmm. I can't get them in my own neighborhood. I remember living in an area and there was no juice in the whole store. Everything was like apple juice drink and grape juice drink. It would be like 5% juice. <laughs> like, what is this? But that's all you know. And then I got older, and I'm like, wow. I will go in some stores, and I'm like, juice comes in glass bottles, and some is fresh scrolled, like, it's pulping juice. Yeah. It's amazing. And I have some friends who honestly have never even known that that exists, even as an adult, just because they haven't been exposed to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you as well, you mentioned before that uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic picked up steam in the U.S., uh, it seems like things have gotten busier in terms of people needing food and uh, experiencing food insecurity. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about how that's changed your work and um, changed how you approach the work? Um, It has made us a lot more busy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It was a time where, like, you might go in a park, Maybe you see five people, and then maybe five more people would come, and then it'd be those ten people, and it was fine. And they might not all need food. Sometimes they'll be like, well, I'm just thirsty. Can I get some water? Or I just need a pair of socks. And it went from maybe within that first month to being, I see teenagers that are homeless now. I see parents with their kids living in cars, and they need everything. So it's not just the like, oh, people can even be prideful enough to be like, I'm not hungry. Nobody is having that option. And so you see guys in like their work jackets and everything and they're like, I, I just can't eat. Or I got my stimulus check so I could buy a car to sleep in. But now I don't have any more money. So I guess, you know, can you help me with something to eat? We had one guy say he had the same pair of socks on for three months. Wow. So we get three pairs of socks. And so it's it's been so much more and the demand has been so high that it's almost overwhelming emotionally to see that many people suffering at one time and to see that they really have nowhere to turn to. And so just something as simple as giving somebody some food or a poncho because it's raining, it's just amazing to be able to do that and even sometimes to me, I'll be like, well, this isn't even significant in like all the problems that they may be facing. But for somebody just be like, no, this means the world to me right now. Mm-hmm. I got prayed for food and then you came. It's like for somebody to say that to you or for somebody to be like, oh, man, like I've had these same clothes on for a week. I needed this. And it's stuff that honestly, like I think so little of, like I never thought about like clean socks. Once my socks stop matching, I kind of just give up on socks, and then it's not, you know, but it's like to really see people like, wow, to see people like shoeless is something that I had never even fathomed, and I've lived here the majority of my whole life, and the thought to see like, you may have a very affluent neighborhood a mile away, 
and then you come down one street, come down another, and you literally see people with no shoes on living in tents behind bushes, and they're really just like, I mean, even I actually witnessed during some of the protests because we couldn't get to some people because the streets were blocked off. I actually watched some people step over people to get to the protest. And it's like, in the middle of all the protesting, how can you forget about the people that you're like literally stepping over? There's still a person down there. And so it's just to see that and to see that sometimes some people are using the pandemic to kind of push their prejudices against unhoused people is ridiculous. So now people want to roll their windows up. I've seen people throw stuff a lot more at homeless people to, like, make them get away from their car than I've ever seen before. People yelling at them, get away from my car. People, like, almost running them over so they won't come near their car. And it's just, like, that's not what this is about. But the pain that they feel from that because they're still people. So to be constantly rejected every day like that. And then maybe to go two days without eating in like 90 degree weather. And then somebody finally comes with a pair of socks and food. It's like it means the world to people. And so it just really makes us grateful for the people who can help us out. Because it it touches people so much to know that somebody cares about them enough to keep showing up. Right. That's so painful to hear about. But I'm, I'm so grateful for people like you who are out there doing the work and um, making a difference one person at a time. It's amazing. I wanted to ask you, too, what advice would you have for folks who want to start similar initiatives in their own cities? I would say, honestly, you need to find someone that has either experienced homelessness in whatever degree it may be, because it exists in several levels. You have people who live, like, in hotel rooms, those people are very food insecure as well because if there is a kitchen in there, it's small. And normally it's families who live there. So if it's like four people in a hotel room, you can imagine they can't really cook an adequate meal in such a small room. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody who has experienced that type of homelessness, they would know like, okay, let's go to an extended stay. Maybe even just put up a flyer and say, hey, or go talk to the manager at the hotel or email them or something and say, hey, can we, you know, can we give away some food? Would that be fine? Most of them will say yes, because a lot of times they do have some of the people who live there, they panhandle. And so if those people could have food, they wouldn't be panhandling. And so you have that, you have unhoused communities. And all honesty, if you go near a shelter, you will find at least 30 people because there's a lot of people during the pandemic who can't get into a shelter. So they kind of form communities near the shelter so that they will be safe. Yeah, absolutely. That's excellent advice. Um, So how can we and our listeners support the work that you're doing with Five Loaves Atlanta? You can go on fiveloavesatlanta.com. We have PayPal. We're going to come up with these new T-shirts. They're going to come out this week. And the T-shirts are sold so that 100% of the proceeds go to the people. Right now, we're working on getting people tents because there's like a tent city forming. Mm-hmm. And the more people who are together, they're safer. And so a lot of people who are popping up on the street, if they could have a tent, 
they would be able to get away from instances where they're isolated. They could get robbed. They could be harassed. You could get arrested because you're loitering. It's a place to keep their things. So it's just an opportunity to get into a community and just be a part of something safer until they can find a way to get off the street. So that's pretty much it. The t-shirts, PayPal, we take cash out for local people in Atlanta. We accept clothing donations, fresh produce donations. Um, we oftentimes on social media, which is Five Loaves Atlanta, we always tag the people that we work with as far as the local farmers, the local bakeries and stuff. So if someone ever wants to order something, all they have to do is just message me and I'll give them a heads up and they can just purchase the bread for us for the week. And that will make a major difference. And we can just keep our goal is at least 300 people a week. And that will make a difference if we make sure that we have all the food we need to prepare enough of a meal where people can have like maybe a sandwich or something cold that they can eat. And it can kind of keep them throughout the day. Because with it being so hot, it's like you really don't want people to sit up and eat like huge meals at noon. And then they got to sit in the sun. So it's like we want to break it up into fruit, sandwiches, things that are just lighter, salad. And so people can stay hydrated. And that's how people can help us out. Awesome. Well, yeah, we'll definitely be putting links to your website and all of your uh, social media on our website, animalvoices.org, so that people can find that and support the amazing work that you're doing. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share? I just would like for people to make sure that while all of the chaos and everything is going on in the world, that we care about everyone and everything. So no matter what somebody has, no matter the if if this is a farm animal and this is an aquatic animal, whatever the reason is, people just need to spread the love throughout. Because I notice sometimes in the vegan community, we see a lot of people who are like, yay, animals, but then they forget about people. Or people are oftentimes like, I love people, but then they're like kicking cows. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if people would combine the love for everything and not just take time to differentiate, I, I love this, but I hate this, I think that would make things flow so much smoother, so much quicker. I agree. That's a beautiful sentiment. Um, thank you so much, Aisha, for joining us on Animal Voices today. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Once again, that was Aisha Robinson of Five Loaves Atlanta. You can learn more and support her work by visiting fiveloavesatlanta.com. You've been listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, BC, Canada, unceded Coast Salish territories. Join us here next Friday, June 19th at noon. Next week's show will feature an interview with filmmaker Jasmine Leva, who directed the documentary The Invisible Vegan. We here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts. You can also see our show blog there with detailed links and subscribe to us on iTunes. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver and on Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. And that's our show. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you for listening to Animal Voices today. Please stay safe and healthy, and remember to be kind to the animals.
Vancouver Cooperative Radio is an innovative, non-profit community radio station with a mission to produce creative and engaging programming for communities whose voices are underrepresented in the mainstream media. We need your financial support to help us achieve this mission. By donating today, you will help us to continue to provide training and access to equipment for over 300 volunteers who produce 140 hours of original programming in over 10 languages. Our radio station is located in the heart of the downtown east side, and since 1975, we have celebrated the rich cultural diversity of the greater Vancouver area through our arts, music, and spoken word programming. Please support alternative community-based radio. Donate today by visiting coopradio.org forward slash donate or calling 604-684-8494. That's 604-684-8494. Eight four nine four.